Next generation consoles from Microsoft and Sony are now only months away, and for all intents and purposes, they are close enough that using weeks or days wouldn't be wrong. We do know that Microsoft plans to release the Xbox Series X, and possibly the Series S, in November, and we can only assume that Sony plans to do the same thing. Now, assuming that Microsoft wants to get out ahead of Black Friday, which is at the end of November, and they follow the same patterns of their past in terms of releasing their consoles, then we are likely to see the next generation of Xbox between November 16th and November 20th. The Xbox One and the Xbox 360 both released on November 22nd. However, that day falls on a Sunday this year, which likely means that the day we're going to get our hands on Microsoft's next generation console would be November 20th. When it comes to Sony, trying to find a release pattern is much more challenging. Sony's released their major consoles in November, December, and even March. And couple that with the fact that Sony has been tighter-lipped than Microsoft when it comes to giving fans morsels of details regarding the release date of the PlayStation 5. Although, you can pre-order to pre-order on their site if that helps. As we eagerly await with patience, some people, the price and date of the next generation of consoles including the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, gamers and fans find themselves in a game of chicken between these two monolithic tech companies. The big question is, does Microsoft and Sony have a good reason outside of a global pandemic to withhold revealing a release date and price? How important is price and date in the history of mainstream consoles? For the sake of relevance, the previous two generations of Microsoft and Sony will be used, which includes the Xbox 360 versus the PlayStation 3, and most recently, the Xbox One versus the PlayStation 4. Now, taking a further look back at some of the more iconic console battles in history, I thought it might be interesting to try and include everyone in this question that pertains to Microsoft and Sony, including Sega and Nintendo. We have the SNES versus the Sega Genesis, the Dreamcast versus the PlayStation 2, the Nintendo 64 versus the PlayStation 1, and maybe the Game Boy versus the Game Gear, as these are all competitors from the 90s and early 2000s that had other people asking which side you were on. This is the Video Games Podcast, and we'll be right back. The most recent example is the Xbox One, which released on November 22, 2013 at $499 due to its inclusion of the Microsoft Connect. This doesn't seem all that different heading into next generation's launch, as Microsoft is aware that Sony has a better first-party offering at the moment. Now, In 2013, Microsoft wanted to offer a complete package for gamers, which tried to make amends for the lack of premium first-party offerings when compared to Sony. The experience was built around the Kinect and using your Xbox as a station for watching TV. Now, if you wanted to play your older Xbox games, then they had a product for you, and they would call that the Xbox 360. Today, Microsoft has bought up a plethora of new studios to help bolster their first-party offerings. Until these games come to fruition, Microsoft needs to compete in other areas including Game Pass, Smart Delivery, xCloud, backwards compatibility for games and accessories, as well as being the most powerful console ever made. Not all that different from 2013. Sony launched the PlayStation 4 on November 15, 2013 at $399, which seemed like a much better deal 
considering that both systems seem very equal when comparing the technical specifications. Although the PlayStation 4 had a smarter design system architecture, as it would soon become apparent in the early game comparison videos. Now, if after eight years, gamers are highly anticipating a new generation of consoles and they have money burning a hole in their pocket, then releasing one week early is going to sell your system. And after an initial surge of consumers purchasing the PlayStation 4 in the first week, then it becomes a domino effect of friends telling friends and family recommending to other family. The decision for the consumer, especially a casual one, also becomes very easy when specs are similar, but one system is $100 cheaper. For this generation, price and release date win. Moving slightly farther back in the time machine, we see the second iteration from Microsoft on their home console with the Xbox 360. Now, after their initial release of the Xbox, Microsoft was eager to get a new machine out ahead of the competition. The Xbox 360 launched just four years after the release of the original Xbox, which is about half the time of most console cycles of the modern age, with the exception of a few outliers. Now, typically, the exceptions are for systems that want to hit the restart button and start fresh. The Xbox 360 wanted a fresh start after the original Xbox hit the market after one of the best-selling consoles ever, the PlayStation 2, which had already been on the market for a year ahead of it and was dominating thanks to its future-forward features, including the DVD player. The other example that comes to mind is the Wii U, which launched at the very end of 2012, which was replaced by the Switch in early 2017, which is just over four years on the calendar. However, the Wii U is a conversation for another day. The Xbox 360 launched on November 22nd, 2005 for $399, which was more than the original Xbox launched for, but was well under what the competition would eventually price themselves at. Introducing the PlayStation 3, the system that you needed two jobs to afford. Well, you didn't actually need two jobs, but the system was a little pricey for the time. Although it seems like we are on the verge of repeating the high prices for the current generation, we still aren't at the same expensive cost that was the PlayStation 3. The system launched at $599, largely in part to an expensive Blu-ray drive, but even with the inflation, that system would cost about $750 today which is nowhere near where these next-generation consoles are likely to launch. A year on the market ahead of the PlayStation 3 wouldn't be enough to win the generation for the Xbox 360. Now, although Sony was late to market by a year when compared to the Xbox 360, and they got off to a very slow start due to a higher price, they were still able to edge out Microsoft by a few million at the end of the generation. Not to take anything away from the excellent product that Microsoft offered, as they made excellent headway into the console space during this generation, selling an estimated 86 million units. Now, if the Xbox 360 only sold around 20 million like the original Xbox, would Microsoft have even continued in the gaming space? For this round, release date and launch price lose. Moving our way back in time chronologically, we find ourselves at the first console battle of the millennium. Any excuse to talk about the Sega Dreamcast is a good enough excuse. As we all know by now, this would be the last gasp of Sega to stay in the console business as too many costly mistakes, including the Sega CD, 32X, and the Saturn led to the company leaving the hardware business. Now, I don't fault Sega completely as the 90s felt like the Wild West for technology and too many times tech would become outdated or never catch on at all. The Dreamcast was in some ways very much ahead of its time, most notably with the inclusion of the built-in modem for online play, but lacked major features of the competition. 
I still remember getting a drive to Electronics Boutique to place my pre-order for the system, and every month or so I would save up enough money to go back in and pre-order something else to go with the system, including games like Sonic Adventure, Blue Stinger, House of the Dead 2, NFL 2K, Ready to Rumble, and accessories like the VMU. Now, memory is a little foggy, but I also remember buying the fishing rod controller with Sega Bass Fishing and putting too many hours into the virtual fishing with my friends. However, being a teenager can blind you from seeing the bigger picture, and the big picture is that the new wave of technology would make the Dreamcast obsolete. Literally. Once the PlayStation 2 came onto the scene around a year later, everything else was irrelevant. Sony had the games, the online capability, and most importantly, it easily ushered in the full adoption of DVD, which in 2000, many people had still not made the switch from VHS. Just five short months after the release of the PlayStation 2, Sega made the announcement that the Dreamcast would be discontinued and they would be exiting the console business. Shortly after the release of the PlayStation 2, the original Xbox would hit the scene along with the Nintendo GameCube as the console market became increasingly competitive. For this round, release date and price lose again. It wouldn't be proper to talk about console competition without talking about Nintendo. This would be the last time that Sony and Nintendo basically competed directly with each other. The Nintendo 64 and the original PlayStation or PS1 would usher in 3D graphics, although in hindsight, a lot of these polygonal graphics just don't quite hold the test of time. Now, After trying to partner with Nintendo unsuccessfully, Sony decided to launch their own gaming console, which in hindsight turned out to be a pretty great idea. Every single iteration of the PlayStation has gone on to be a massive success of varying degrees. The original PlayStation hit the ground running with a massive library that seemed to cater to everyone with experiences that were never had before with games like Resident Evil, Metal Gear Solid, Tomb Raider, Crash Bandicoot, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Parappa, and countless others. Some of these series are still around to this day and likely the others will make a return at some point this upcoming generation. Launching in North America in September 1995, there was nothing that felt like the future of gaming quite like the PlayStation. The PS1 would also enjoy being the only next-generation console on the market for over a year before Nintendo threw their hat in the polygonal ring. The Nintendo 64 hit store shelves in September of 1996 and would eventually be home to some genre-defining experiences including Ocarina of Time, Super Mario 64, and GoldenEye. However, these experiences wouldn't be enough to lift Nintendo's first foray into 3D gaming as the Nintendo 64 would go down in history as one of the company's worst-selling consoles. The Nintendo 64 would only go on to sell around 33 million units, which isn't terrible, and some companies Companies would be thrilled, but Nintendo had tasted success much greater with other releases at that point, including the Game Boy, which sold almost 120 million, the NES, which would sell almost 62 million, and even the SNES, which would sell 49 million units. These numbers mean that by the end of the N64's lifespan, it would be the least successful home console launch from Nintendo, not taking into account the Virtual Boy which wasn't a dedicated home console. Now, in this round, release date wins, but release price loses. You can't talk about console wars without talking about Sega and Nintendo directly. One of the most iconic console battles in history is the Sega Genesis versus the Super Nintendo. Back in the day, it was either are you a Nintendo fan or are you a Sega fan? You either preferred the clean cut and friendly Mario or you liked the edgy and blue Sonic. 
the Sega Genesis hit the market almost a full two years ahead of the Super Nintendo, even though they would both be 16-bit consoles. The system wasn't able to outsell the Super Nintendo despite a two-year advance on the market. The Genesis being the best-selling Sega console ever and launching for cheaper than the SNES. In this round, release date and release price lose again. After looking at some of the biggest console battles of the last 30 years, how important is launching cheaper and earlier? Now, out of the five different console wars that were pitted against each other, more frequently, the one that hit the market earlier actually ended up losing. Getting a head start on the competition and giving gamers a reason to spend that money burning a hole in their pockets seems like it would be essential to selling more consoles. But it's not. When it comes to pricing a console, the overwhelming majority of times when a console launched at a cheaper price in the competition, it didn't become the best-selling console of that generation. Despite the notion that people are looking for value and whatever system is cheaper will sell more, just isn't accurate. The only cheaper system in our examples that would go on to win this generation was the PlayStation 4, and that could be argued was much more of an Xbox failing monumentally at the launch. As we have seen over the past 30 years of gaming, there is so much more to a console succeeding than just release date and release price. Everything matters and it can't just be boiled down to a few simple categories. As gamers and fans await the highly anticipated release date and price for the next generation of consoles, the important thing to remember is that it doesn't overly matter whether Sony or Microsoft announce first, and it doesn't overly matter who will offer the cheaper console. Instead, it's a much more Venn diagram of categories like exclusives, ecosystem, price, release date, accessories, services, and everything else. That's all for the Video Games Podcast this week. Hopefully now, with a little help from history, we can see that there really isn't a rush to announce a release date first, be the first to release, or be the cheapest. I hope you enjoyed the show and taking a ride back over the last 30 years of gaming. And if you did, then please consider subscribing. And remember, be nice to your fellow gamer, but more importantly, be nice to your fellow human. Thank you.